Well, good morning, church. Hey, uh, Bart, would you mind muting the monitors up here and getting some feedback? How you guys doing today? Yeah. What an awesome morning of worship, right? I mean, powerful, powerful. Well, uh, tonight, that will get to continue. If you want to come tonight, I promise you'll be blessed. Uh, worship will begin at 630. If you want to come early, we'll watch uh, The Chosen, the end of season one tonight, starting at four o'clock. And that'll be a lot of fun. But tonight's going to be a, a blast in worship together and um, going to be great. How you guys doing? Everybody ready? Y'all ready to get into the word? Okay. Grab your Bibles, if you will. Find your place in Acts 26. Acts chapter 26. Last time uh, we talked, we, we saw that our God is sovereign. That God is sovereign. And by that, what I mean is that Jesus has all authority. He has all power and all control. Do we believe that, church? Yes. Okay. So we notice that even though the king and the governor come marching into this trial with Paul with great fanfare, with a big pomp, with a, a, a lot of show, it's all just show. But with Jesus, it's not a show. He is working all things according to his will. That's what Ephesians 1 says. This is glorious truth. It's equipping and empowering us as we join him on mission. So last time we saw that our God is sovereign. And today I want us to see that God is saving. God is saving. I love the two stories. Jill, wow, powerful story of who you were, but because of the saving power of Jesus, that's not who you are anymore, right? And Stephen, a brother, an elder in our church, fellow pastor, six years ago in jail, but Jesus saves, right? God is saving and he will use your story to do it. That's the big truth for this morning. Why don't you stand with me as we read from the scriptures together. Acts chapter 26. I'm just going to read the whole chapter. Paul's on trial before King Agrippa and the governor Festus. Verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusation of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. So therefore, I beg you, listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth Spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain 
as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. In a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed all the way to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me. And to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. And to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, with a loud voice, said, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose 
and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. When they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Stories like this one are for our instruction. They inspire our hope that even in the midst of difficulty, we can be bold with the gospel. We have nothing to fear. In your perfect love, you cast out all fear. I pray for that in this room today, Lord. Those of us who are gripped by fear, would you set us free by the power of the gospel in the name of Jesus. Help us to be bold witnesses for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I want us to see that God is saving and that he will use your story to do it. How awesome is that? Right? We get to be involved in God's saving work. We learn in Ephesians 2 that people are saved by grace through faith. And we know from Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Now, you know that while God is saving, there is an enemy at work also in this world, right? God is working to open people's eyes. And 2 Corinthians 4 teaches us that the God of this world is working to blind the minds of unbelievers. There's a battle raging for the souls of people. And the Lord is welcoming you into the fight. But I want to show you before we begin, before we really get moving here, what conquers the devil. Do you know what conquers the devil? How how would you like to know what conquers the devil? That'd be important to know, right? If we have an enemy, you want to know what beats him, right? Let me show you Revelation chapter 12. John writes of what he saw and heard. And in chapter 12, verses 10 through 12, here's what he said. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down. That's the devil. That's Satan. He's the great deceiver. He accuses them day and night before our God. But look. They have conquered him, here it is, by the blood of the lamb and, look, by the word of their testimony. I want you to listen to how powerful your story is. The Bible says that the blood of the lamb, Jesus' sacrifice, seals the deal. But the story of the blood applied sets people free. Listen. Listen. When Jesus' blood is applied, people's lives are transformed. We're changed. And the bold witness of personal salvation is powerful. I love what this text says. It says, um, by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Jesus is better than life itself. So... In the face of the great deceiver, 
the truth is what defeats him. People who are so convinced in the eternal supreme worth of Christ that not even threat of their life can change their story. That is convincing. And that is conquering is what John tells us. The enemy is conquered by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. So our God is saving. Peter says he's saving people out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Christian, have you ever wondered why when God saved you, he didn't just take you right then? I mean, if the whole mission was just to save your soul, you should have gone to heaven right in that moment, right? Except he wants to conquer the enemy through your story. He wants to use you to do his miraculous saving work. God does the saving, but he's chosen to use us to deliver the news. Isn't that good? God wants you to tell people about Jesus and what he's done for you. You've already experienced that this morning. We've we've seen we've heard powerful testimony today about how Jesus meets us in our brokenness and makes us right before God. God is constantly making a way, working to make a way for you to bear witness. Just this week, um, I had lunch scheduled with one of our ministry partners Gary Hippolyte uh, from Haiti drove over, not from Haiti, from Atlanta. <laughs> he drove, that'd have been a long drive. He drove over from Atlanta uh, to meet me and Jeff for lunch. And uh, we had plans to meet at a restaurant. We got to the restaurant and they were closed for indoor dining. And I was all disappointed. And Gary was just like, yeah, let's just go somewhere else. Okay. So we went somewhere else and uh, we sat down and uh, the waiter came over and we just had a, a good conversation. He walked away from the table and Gary said, Justin, do you believe we should witness to this man? And I said, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, of course, if you think so, Gary, yes. And so we did. And I've reflected on that thought like, OK, Lord, you know, what if we'd have gone to the other restaurant? But the Lord is constantly working to make a way for your witness. Have you seen that God is working in your own life? To set you up to give testimony about Jesus? He is. So in our text today, what we see is that Paul is on trial. He's giving his defense. And in the middle of it, he decides to tell his testimony about how Jesus changed his life. Church, our God is saving sinners. Jesus came for that reason. He said the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So he's chosen to use our stories to do that. If you want to effectively share your story, then as you go and tell, I want to give you three things that will help you from this text. As you go and tell, Relate to sinners. Relate to sinners. As Paul tells his story, he says that he too hated the Jesus movement. He was the LeBron James of the synagogue, right? He was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the the, the most studied student there had ever been. He He was at the upper echelon. He was so 
high on that horse that he was pursuing anybody that he thought was coming against this religious thing. And he saw Jesus as a problem. So anybody that followed Jesus, he was out to get them. He was willing to do some really awful things to people. And in the middle of his defense before a king, he starts with a confession of some really terrible things he's done. Isn't that wild? And it's because Paul is relating to sinners. He says he was ruthless. He was controlled by his rage. He was mistreating people in some really awful ways. He says of himself later that he was the chief of sinners and God only saved him just to display his mercy. So how do you relate to sinners? Remember who you were. Remember who you were. I'm not proud of who I was, but I have not forgotten it. We will not reach sinners if we're too busy judging them. Instead of shaking our heads at sin, we should share our hearts with sinners. In Ephesians, Paul says, remember, you were separated from Christ. Far from God, without God in the world. Remember, he says. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he gives this list, and it's a pretty bad list. He says the, the sexually immoral, the idolater, adulterers, people practicing homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, revilers, nor swindlers. None of them will inherit the kingdom, he says. But then in verse 11, look at what he says. Such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Two things here. One, that's who you were. And two, because of Jesus, it's not who you are. Isn't that good? Now, the beauty of that is this. We as believers in Christ are sent to people who are still stuck in the word. We're sent to, to them, to love them, to give grace to them, to, to invite them in to become someone new through Jesus. He's the only one who washes and justifies and makes whole Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. But we can only give grace when we're gripped by the grace we've been given. So relate to the broken. We are all broken. All of us. In our world, there's certain sins that seem to get all the attention, right? There's sin, I think, that we just, it's weird, we just love to hate it. I don't know why. We should hate it all. We don't have to be really specific in our hatred of sin. We'd better remember that all sin is deadly. James 2.10 He says, if you've broken the law in one place, you've broken it all. So I'm saying this. Don't judge sinners. But don't justify them either. This is a delicate balance, church. It's not easy. Not pretending it's easy. But we don't judge. We we, we extend love because we know who we were, right? 
We were. But now we are. So we don't judge. We love. But we don't justify either. We do, we do people no eternal good when we contribute to their deception. Listen, God is not okay with sin. He's not okay with my sin. He's not okay with your sin. He, he is holy and he will not overlook it. You and I don't get to define what is sin and what is not. God does that. But our message must be like what Jesus said to the adulterous woman. Everyone wanted him to judge her. They were all there, stones in hand, ready to put this woman to death. Jesus leveled the playing field. He said, if, uh, if you've never sinned, go ahead and throw a rock. And one by one, they dropped their stones and, and left. And then Jesus gets face to face with this sinful woman. And he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they've all gone. And I love what he says. Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now listen to the balance. Jesus gives grace. But then he calls to change. He doesn't say you're not sinning. It's okay. You just keep doing what you're doing. He doesn't say that. No, he says, I love you. Come to me and be changed. This is the message that we must also offer Grace and truth. Let's love people that way. When Paul comes before this king, he confesses his own brokenness. And in the midst of that, telling the shame of his own story, he disarms those he wishes to save. Do you see that? It's disarming. When you come into a situation and you go, look, man, I was wretched before I met Jesus. So how about a little honesty in the house today? What is it about your life that sets the stage for Jesus to swoop in and rescue you? When I ask you, it's okay to answer here, right? We can speak, we can talk. So shout out, don't be ashamed. Did sin have a grip on you? Think about this. What is it in this life that was blinding you from the truth? This is key. We cannot lose sight of this because the story of your sin is the stage for his grace. He shows his redeeming grace on the platform of our worst struggles. So who here today would say that Jesus has radically saved you? Yeah. Amen. So let me hear you. Let me hear you. If you have a past that you're not real proud of, let me hear you. Anybody? Okay. All right. So if you didn't say anything, you're either real shy or you're lying. <laughs> one, of the, one of the two. Uh, As Christians, here's what we know. We know that the power of Christ is the power to change. He changes us. We can't get so lost in our newness that we forget who we were. 
So as we go in the power of Jesus, we have to relate to sinners where they are. Paul received the grace of Christ on a road to Damascus. He's telling that story. And it's in that moment that everything changed. The whole course of his life changed. Maybe you're like me. And while you're not who you were, you're still not yet who you want to be. Okay. Well, the truth is we're, we're all still a mess and we're all still a work in progress. Right. We all still need his saving grace today. Right. So let's be honest. Let's be transparent. Let's be humble. Let's love the lost in these ways. Your testimony of Jesus' saving grace should always be current. Yeah, it had a beginning point. But he's still changing you. If you're walking with Jesus, he is still saving you. So in your mess, relate to Sinners, if you want to participate in God's work in saving someone, make an effort to connect to them right where they are. Because people may respect you for your success, but they will relate to you in your failure. So relate to sinners. Secondly, this was huge. Reveal Christ as Savior. Reveal Christ as Savior. After Paul tells about who he was, he goes straight to his encounter with Jesus. Because that's the center point of the story, right? That's the moment he went from were to are. It was at Jesus that the intersection with Christ is what changed him. So Paul's on trial for turning the world upside down, but he knows really it's Jesus who's the world changer. Jesus must be the centerpiece of our story. So, so listen, here's the point the, the hero of your testimony is not you, it's Jesus. <laughs> so as you tell your story, aim to reveal Christ as the Savior. Here's how Paul does it. Starting from his first encounter with Jesus, he tells them what he knows about him. I thought he was trying to wreck our faith is what he's saying. I thought he was trying to wreck what we have, this beautiful religion of our God. Our God is one. Right. But no, he actually Jesus is actually the son of God. He's the one we've been hoping for talking to a Jewish king. Now, he tells them that Jesus isn't the leader of some new cult. No, he's the Messiah that Moses and the prophets spoke about. This is not a betrayal of what we've believed. It's the fulfillment of it. Notice in, uh, in verses six and seven, he uses the word hope three times. And so I want to tell you what Paul says about Jesus to Agrippa. He tells him to hope in the suffering Savior. I want to tell you some things about Jesus that Paul reveals to Agrippa. If you want to, you can look with me in verses 22 and 23. These specific things are right here in the text. Paul says to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that being first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people 
and the Gentiles. So check out these three truths about Jesus. He had to suffer and die. That's what Paul says. So here's the reality. There is no forgiveness of sin apart from the shedding of blood. That's always been the case from when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. You know, they hid themselves with fig leaves. But God came in and said, that won't do. We'll need to kill an animal. And he covered them with the skins of an animal. From the very beginning, covering of shame and sin and guilt came through death. Well, that didn't change when Jesus came along. Jesus knew from the beginning that it was going to cost him his life to save you and me. There's no forgiveness apart from bloodshed. Death is the cost of your forgiveness. Salvation is a free gift, but it was not free to God. It cost him his only son. So hear this reality. Paul says to Agrippa, and I say to you, you will not ever be good enough to save yourself. Jesus alone was good enough. The righteous one chose to die in place of unrighteous sinners. He chose to suffer so that you wouldn't have to. Jesus is not just a good example to follow. He is our substitute. Jesus did not come to show you how to live a good life and save yourself. No, he came to save you himself. All of our hope must be in the person and work of Jesus Christ because Jesus is qualified to save. Listen, much as I love you, I could never die for your sin. Much as you love your own children, you could never die for their sin. Why? Because you too are a sinner. We need saving. I'm not qualified to save anyone. But Jesus is. Jesus is qualified to save and our salvation comes only through his suffering. The second truth Paul tells them is that he's the first to rise from the dead. Well, Jesus is the conquering king. And that's what he's proving here. Nothing, not even death has the power to stop him. He's able to give eternal life to his own. Remember. Jesus is not the first person to ever come back to life, but he is the first to rise from the dead. Lazarus came out of the tomb, but you know what? He died again. They buried him again. Jesus is the first to be raised from death, never to die again. And it reminds me of what he said at the tomb of Lazarus. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Well, this is the promise that Jesus offers. And because he's the first to rise from the dead, what we know about Jesus is that he's able to save. He's qualified and he is able. He rose from the dead. So when he tells you, I promise you, you're going to live again if you trust and give your life to me. You can, you can take it to the bank because he's already done it. He's able to save. And then I love what Paul says to Agrippa next. He says he, 
He's the first to rise from the dead, proclaiming light to both Jew and Gentile. So there's two quick truths here. Light equals rescue. If you think of yourself as in darkness, which the Bible paints that picture, that we are in the darkness of sin, blinded by our sin, totally in darkness. What would you give for some light? I went um, spelunking one time. You know what that is, right? I didn't know what it was and for a while. Uh, spelunking is when you go caving, right? You get into a cave and um, how many of you know it's like super dark inside the earth? Um, like real dark. And I had this headlamp and another little flashlight and I was kind of stepping over holes and things. And I mean, it was scary. I had a pack of crackers and a granola bar and uh, I like hit a bump or something and... Uh, the the flashlight, I drop it, and I'm and and my light somehow or another it went dark. I don't know what happened. The battery went out, or something, and I dropped my flashlight. Let me tell you something. Panic. <laughs> I was I was panicking because it is scary, kind of dark in that place. It took me literally seconds to start praying. <laughs> when you're in that kind of darkness. Light is your rescue. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light that you need. He proclaims light. Proclaims, proclaims. Listen, here's what Paul's saying here. Jesus is qualified to save. He's able to save. And right here he's saying he is willing to save. That you're stuck in darkness and he's the light you need. He's proclaiming hope. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He's the light of rescue. And secondly, and I, you know I love this truth. Um, to both Jew and Gentile. The hope of the light of the world is for all people. Jew and Gentile. White, black, Hispanic, Asian, Lebanese. Haitian, and on and on and on and on and on. What we know of our God is He's on a global mission to save people from all the peoples of the world and bringing them into one redeemed family. That's our God. And that's this family. But here's the truth, church. What Paul is saying here is when you tell your story, reveal Christ as Savior. He's the hero of the story. Everything hinges on Jesus. You can be a good person. But if you reject Jesus Christ, you'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. It's not popular, but it's true. Jesus is the only hope of salvation. I was thinking this week a little bit about the flood and Noah and When God sent the great flood, he told Noah to build an ark. And for many years, I don't know how many exactly, but for many years, Noah built the boat. And as he built the boat, he preached to the people, the judgment of God is coming. There's going to be a flood. It's going to rain. I'm telling you, it's coming. It's coming. God's judgment is coming. I'm, I'm making a boat. You can get on it. Here's the truth. There was only one boat. And only those who got in the boat were saved. Well, Jesus is a bit like Noah's Ark. 
in that there's only one Savior for all of us. And only those who are in Christ will be saved. So as we tell our story, reveal Christ as the Savior and call people to put all their hope in Jesus. And so that takes me to this last point. And I'll be quick here. Call for a response. Paul asked Agrippa, and this is so bold. He's standing before a king who has the power to sentence him or whatever. And he looks at this king and he says, King Agrippa, do you believe? How bold is that? Paul's supposed to be defending himself, but instead he decides to put Agrippa on the hot seat. Paul loves these people so much. He loves them enough to make it a little awkward. Right? Agrippa says, are you, are, you, are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? It didn't get past him what Paul was trying to do. Right? And Paul says, absolutely. You and everybody else in this room. I wish, I pray, I would to God that all of you would be just as I am. Rescued by this Jesus. Well, except for these chains. And the beautiful irony is Paul's the only one in the room in chains, and yet he's the freest man in the place. This is genuine love. It's real passion. Paul cares about these people. He's not just telling his story to tell a story. He's inviting people to be saved by this Jesus. So I want to ask you the same question that Paul asked Agrippa. Do you really believe? Do you really believe? I mean, have your eyes been open to know and trust Jesus? Do you believe that he came to save sinners? Do you believe you are a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus willingly died to take your punishment to his cross? Do you believe that he rose from the dead, proving that he is a conquering king who can deliver on all of his promises? Do you believe? And have you received him as the master over your life? Are you living in obedience to this Jesus as a true believer? Personally telling others how they can be forgiven and have a place in God's family. Do you believe? Do you believe? Not knowing all the facts, but surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. If you believe, who will you tell?